Isaiah, is that how you say your name? Isaiah. I. Isaiah. It's spelled. Isaiah. Yes. Okay. Spelled a little different. Yeah. All right. So um, the question, Isaiah, that you uh, ask um, is quite a profound question. And it actually comes from the fact that you've already started practicing correctly. And so I wanted to make sure that I could congratulate you for getting someplace. And so this kind of question that you have is becoming very important uh, in the sense of recognizing that things are not nearly as important as we used to think they are, that we were taught how important things are. And often the things that are important wind up being false. They're not true. Mm-hmm. That basically what winds up is, is that they want you to believe that it's important so that they can make a profit off of it. Okay, yeah. and that's the, that's what society is basically all about anyway. And, and so if you can't make something important, then nobody wants it anyway. And so your business model has to make that the product that you're building is desirable and wanted and important okay so that whole system we've been taught and it's kind of built into the habits to go along to get along to do what we're supposed to do etc like that and when we begin to recognize that a lot of the stuff that we were told is wrong so now we can begin to say, well, I can turn that around if I understand how to turn it around. And so one of the things then I wanted to start with you on is to recognize what's important. And so I'll ask you this question. If you were dead, what's important? Nothing. Nothing. Are you sure about that? Yeah. If you're absolutely dead, rotting in the ground, five years after your co- uh, your coffin has fallen apart, what's important to you? Nothing. Can't Nothing. Be. Okay. So, uh, a lot of people get confused about uh, uh, dukkha. Uh, when they begin to understand the teaching of the Buddha, they hear it as suffering, and then they get the idea that it's a big deal where the original definition of it was is just uncomfortable or dissatisfied It's unsatisfactory is basically what what we're talking about and that can be either in a little way or in a great big way mm-hmm. now if it's in a little way we can do something about it but if it's a great big way then it's twofold one is important and two hard to deal with mm-hmm. And so the things that are hard to deal with are almost always the things that are important to us. And sometimes really trivial things become important to us. I mean, something as simple as picking up a penny off of a table. And you don't have the right fingernails or the thing to do it. And and all of a sudden, instead of just leaving the penny on the table because it's not important anyway. We start working really hard to get that penny because we have that intention. I got to get what I want. Yeah. And so we make the penny important. Mm-hmm. And it's not. No. Not important at all. And so um, 
we begin then to recognize that hold a whole lot of stuff that I thought was important is actually not important. And so beginning to figure out well, what's important then is to understand that life itself is not dukkha. And yet a lot of people, especially atheists, think it is. I mean, in the 1980s, there was a bumper sticker in the U.S. that says life is shit and then you die. Okay, yeah. and a lot of people have an idea that their life is shit. That this is a bad life, that I want a better one and maybe I can get one next time if I pay the price to the priest. Yeah. So, um, but but we we get the idea then that this life is broken. Mm-hmm. That and that when that is taken full blast into Hinduism, it's like you are not what you want to be, and you cannot live up to your potential because you've got your past, and your past actions will control your life. Yeah. Okay, and so then they get the idea that that means that whatever little actions that I can take now won't have any effect upon this life. It'll only have effects upon the next life, and that's where they make the big mistake that everybody can change. And basically what we're actually changing is the list of things that are important. Mm -hmm. That's what we're actually going to change is to figure out what's important and what's not important. And one of the things now that we're looking at is, is that life itself is the only important thing and it is not itself dukkha. Yeah. Life is to be enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And the next part on that is, is that everyone is going to die within the next five minutes. Everybody's going to die. Yeah. Unless they get a reprieve. And what mm-hmm. is the reprieve? This next breath. Yeah. Okay. Now you can go for uh, a month or more without food. You can go for uh, weeks without water. You yeah. can go many years without sex. But you can't go five minutes without breathing. That's mm-hmm. what makes it important is, is that it's also immediate. Mm-hmm. And so now you, if we look at it from that perspective, we can begin to see why the Buddha thinks then that breathing is important. Yeah. Breathing correctly is important to give us good life. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is the first place that we start is to recognize that there really is nothing important except being alive, taking this next breath. Now, here's another way of looking at it, and that is, is that we spent our whole lives whatever, doing whatever it was that we were doing, and that up until this present moment, whatever happened was not fatal, and that here you are, you're still alive. Yeah. Okay, which means that the past did whatever job that it needed to do to bring you to this present moment, And so we can congratulate it, thank the past, and let it go. Because we're going to be building new past from now on. Let us say Mm -hmm. a month from now, 
that the only thing upon reflection that we have to look back to is only the past month because a month ago we figured out that the past got me here and I can let it go so we can let okay so now we only have a month long past yeah so uh this is actually a new way of recognizing that the only thing that's important is this next breath and how we spend this next moment. Yeah. And if we can do that, we can recognize that even that is not important because we all are going to die anyway. And I mean, uh, we sometimes we like history, but um, Let's use the example of Tuknot Amun, the, um, the 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 pharaoh who was dug up in the 1920s with all the gold sarcophagus and it made world tours and anything like that. Okay, now with all of the um, hoopla that happened, uh, gosh, I think it's happened in series. They did a world tour, I think, in the late 90s, and so the whole world was all hot about Tuknot Amun. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Does Tuknot Amun care? No. <laughs> no, he's dead. Yeah. So whatever happens to the artifacts that they pulled out of that um, grave, they did not pull out Tuknot Amun himself. He's gone. Okay. Yeah. So that means then that he, even of a pharaoh, was not really important because he didn't last. Mm-hmm. Even our own lives is is the only thing that we do find important is really not all of that important anyway. Yeah. Well, now we've got a method for working because all we have now are things that are not important anyway to play with. Mm-hmm. And so we start taking a playful attitude. This life is a toy to play with. It's a marvelous toy. I mean, look, you've been given a gift that's one of the most precious gifts could possibly be given, and that is a living human being to play with. Yeah. Your own body. Mm-hmm. And it's a good toy to play with, to experiment with it, to find out what it's like. Yeah. Okay? To nurture it. Mm-hmm. To feed it carefully. To give it wholesome food. Yeah. The wholesome, wholesome nourishment. So this is the way that we begin to look at it. Is nothing's important anyway. Let me play with this marvelous toy called life. Mm-hmm. So this is how it starts to take on um, our our practice. Is that we take the importance out of the practice because the practice that we're doing is not important. Enjoying this present moment is really what's important. Yeah. Which is the practice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And when we get good at it, then we can actually enjoy this present moment. Yep. And so this is the way that we uh, plan on things is that we plan on and look forward to not necessarily uh, with detailed plans, but just a general idea that whatever happens next, I can handle it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whatever happens next, I can handle it. This is actually part of the teaching of the Buddha. This point of whatever happens next, I can handle it. 
also has the quality of uh, it's, call, it's called in the suttas the first knowledge. Hmm. The first real knowledge is the knowledge that no matter how my mind gets hindered, no matter what comes into the mind that's unwholesome, no matter what circumstances that create those unwholesome thoughts, like getting busted or arrested or uh, yeah. diagnosed with pancreatic uh, cancer or whatever it is that happens, um, that will cloud the mind with unwholesome thoughts. No matter what happens, we can clean that out and come back to the present moment of realizing we're still alive and that life itself is a toy to play with. We can come back to the reality of the situation and see the truth. This is the first knowledge of the Buddha uh, on the path. Now, the important part is, is the Buddha says that this first knowledge is a factor of the path. It is, in fact, super mundane. It is, in fact, noble. And it is also a factor that ordinary people don't have the vast majority of humans just like last year ago you had no idea that you could get yourself to the state of being able to handle anything yeah i didn't (laughs) no no because you felt a victim to all kinds of stuff okay Mm -hmm. and by changing your life from something important that's hard to deal with and being a victim of your own life. Now you can become the champion of your own life. Yeah. Because it's only a toy to play with. Mm -hmm. And you're the boss here. This is actually um, related to the Eightfold Noble Path directly. The Pali word for it there is Sama Sankapa, which means to change your attitude from that Mm -hmm. victim into the winner and so that's why this is the first knowledge because that first knowledge is to know that i can win this the knowledge is that i can handle this i can throw those unwholesome thoughts out of the mind and be here now and enjoy the heck out of it yeah so that easy isn't that amazing the buddha taught this that this is the first step that's noble. It's not held by ordinary people because ordinary people are still victims from childhood. In -hmm. childhood, we all start out as a victim. I mean, we can't feed ourselves, we can't talk, we can't walk around, we can't change our diaper, we can't do anything like that. And so we're a victim to whatever happens in the world. That attitude then is reinforced by the time we go to school. You know, you got to pick up your toys and clean your room and do your homework and just go around being ordered around what to do. That's how we train our children is by giving them work to do. Yeah. And so the child falls into the mentality of going along to get along, do what you're told to do without expecting any good results. And so we begin to resent it. We do what we're told to do, but we don't like doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. We also begin to not like authorities. We got everything from the authority figures in the first place. I mean, without mommy taking care of us, we got nothing. We're dead. We're abandoned. But later on, mommy becomes an authoritarian. She puts Mm. us to school. 
She gives us homework. She slaps us around sometimes. Right? And so we see her as an authority, and then we don't like it because we're a victim to that authority. Yeah. And so we resent the authority, and maybe we stop doing what we're told to do. Maybe we rebel, and then maybe we feel guilty. So look at that little cycle that we get into. All because we've taught somebody in authority and make them more important than we are. Do what they tell us to do, not like it, resent it, rebel against it, and then feel guilty and want to suck up to authority again. And there goes that cycle. <laughs> yeah. And um, and we don't know about it, and so we think that it's important. But the real important point is just to give up these authorities, to give up all of these rules, and just enjoy the moment. Yeah. That's beautiful, right? That we do not have to be the victim and play the same victim's game that we played all those years ago and continue to play today. Mm -hmm. And so we wind up as an adult victims to what I call the grab. Yeah. Have you heard about that? Yeah, you mentioned it last time. Right. We become victims to that grab, the government, the religion, yeah. the education we've already talked about. Yeah. And big business. They all, uh, but the, pop, the the situation is that everybody's is wrapped up into the grab. Think that the grab or one piece of it or another is important. Yeah. But in fact, it's not important. No, it's not important anymore. If we can see that what the government does is not important, we can begin to see that things are all in cycles, that things spin around. When we are caught, let us say that it, uh, imagine it is kind of like a Ferris wheel. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we like the view. We're very up at the top. And sometimes we don't like it because we have to go down to the bottom where all the noisy machinery and everything like that is. The crowd is down there. And then we go back up to the cycle and we like it at the top. Yeah. And then the first thing we recognize is, is that all oh, this, the problem is the seat that I'm sitting in <laughs> goes up and down. Yeah. And I don't like that cycle. But if we can get off of the merry-go-round and get some distance from it, not care about it so much, then we can begin to see, oh, that seat that went up and down is actually attached to and is in this big cycle, mm -hmm. this wheel that that is called samsara. Yeah. You probably heard that word before. Yeah. Everything happens in cycles. Your feelings are in cycles. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. So what we're going to be doing is experimenting with and playing with the fact that we're going to be able to see because we're not attached to them, we're not attached to that seat of yeah. going up and down, we can step away from it and see the cycles. Mm -hmm. Some cycles last a very, very long time. Some cycles last four or five hundred years or more. Mm -hmm. Some cycles are, uh, are like the year. We know one cycle, by the way, that lasts 25,000 years. They call that's the procession of the ages. You know, you've heard the song, The Dawning of the Age of Aquarius. No. 
Okay, and then 2,500, uh, see, if it takes 2,500 years to go around, mm-hmm. then that means that uh, the Earth changes its zodiac sign oh, okay. about once every 2,500 years or so, mm-hmm. um, or maybe 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we know in time that it started uh, when... Um, I think it went from Leo uh, to, oh, no, it wasn't. Anyway, we're in uh, the, the time of Aquarius. We're on the cup, cusp. Okay. And for the last 2,000 years, we've been in the, uh, uh, the Pisces. What is the mm-hmm. Pisces? The fish in Christianity had the sign of the fish. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then before that was uh, the ram. The ghosts. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those things last for about 2,000 years. Now, what kind of um, influences it has, we haven't quite worked it out, but it's a good point to recognize that everything is on these big cycles, yeah. or small cycles. We also mm-hmm. have a cycle of an in-breath and an out-breath. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that the, everything is just spinning around, spinning around. That's, uh, in fact, if you know much about physics, that's what string theory is all about. Yeah. It's stuff just spinning around, okay? And so everything is caught in the cycles, and that by observing, watching, mm-hmm. noticing, we can pick up more than just as what's happening right now. We can begin to see that what's happening right now is part of some bigger cycle. Yeah. And that if I like this part of the cycle and not that part of the cycle, then I'm a victim to that cycle. Yeah. If I don't care about that cycle and stand back, then I can see the cycle, understand it better, and become the master of that cycle. Mm Mm-hmm. So it all boils back down then to the question of uh, being able to be lighthearted and play with this stuff means that we don't carry it around as a burden. Yeah. Okay, that we are not burdened down by the Ferris wheel seat that we're sitting on that we keep seeing going up and down and up and down, right? Mm -hmm. And so we care about that seat too much. Yeah. So... The word caring and carrying are very interrelated because what we carry around are the things that we care about. I mean, imagine going on a trip mm-hmm. and you pack your bag. What are you going to put in the bag? Whatever I think is. things are of the things you care about. Yeah, the things that, yeah. Uh-huh. And if you keep traveling and keep packing that bag, pretty soon it gets lighter and lighter because some of the things you brought with you that you cared about now find out they're not important anyway. Nope. I I went through that process over several year period of time to where I gave away. I I used to carry all this stuff around with me when I would go around India. I finally gave away the guitar. I gave away the set of speakers. I gave away this, that, and the other thing. And uh, then my burdens were light. So they didn't care about that stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is the whole point then is is that the things that we find are important, that means we care about them, and that means that we carry them with us. Mm -hmm. And so we need then to go through that inventory 
one by one as they occur. Is this important? Is this worth carrying around anymore? Yeah. An example of that would be, is the Democratic Party worth carrying around anymore? Do I have to be a Democrat? Yeah. Because the Democrats feel good and they feel bad based upon events they have no control over. Yeah. And I can also give up uh, my uh, membership to the Republican Party. I don't have to care about them anymore. Yeah. Now, the Democrats care about the Republicans and the Republicans care about the Democrats so much that they're having a war. Talking about yeah. civil war now because they care so much. Yeah. <laughs> and so the best thing to do about them is to recognize, oh, they're really not part of my world after all. Democrats yeah. and Republicans are nothing but concepts. Yeah. And in fact, you can. Here's the thing. Uh, imagine it like this. You've got four Republicans, or let us say two Republicans and two Democrats, mm -hmm. and each one of them has an idea about what the Democrat Party is like. Mm -hmm. Except that you have four different views. Yeah. Right. That Kamala Harris sees the Democratic Party different than Joe Biden. Mm hmm. And Mitch McConnell sees the Democratic Party completely different than either one of those. So who's right? What is the Democratic Party? The answer is, is that it's gushy. Yeah. <laughs> why? Don't it's it. nebulous. Who, who knows what the Democratic Party is? So why should I care so much about them? Yeah, they don't even. I can't even define it. <laughs> uh -huh. And so this is the way that we begin to see that all, all those things that I thought were important are not really important at all. And if I keep carrying it around, it's still going to get heavy. Mm -hmm. And so all I have to do is kind of let go of any of that kind of stuff and live yeah. in the world that, of the senses. Mm -hmm. What I see is part of my world. Mm -hmm. But uh, the maps of Ukraine that I have in my mind is not Ukraine. No. <laughs> they don't, the whole landscape doesn't fit, all the people, their ideas, none of it. Nobody knows even what Ukraine is. No. Nope. I mean, because you can't come to a consensus of defining what Ukraine is, and therefore nobody knows what it is. Yeah. I used to be all philosophical. I, oh, no more of that. <laughs> I was like trying uh -huh. to figure out stuff like that no thank you <laughs> and the thing of it is that you already have so many people trying to figure it out that whatever we do to figure it out too is not going to help no all we'll no. do is just get into arguments about what the job is that needs to be done <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so we can really really lighten up this mm. is an important quality of the teaching of the buddha is to recognize nothing's important enough to get upset over Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we've already got the really important stuff nailed. Mm -hmm. What's the important stuff? This next breath. This next mm -hmm. thought. Yeah, hold some thought after another. That's the only thing that we have as uh, of interest. And, and because all of the world that we used to think was so important because we were taught that it was important. Actually, yeah. is nothing but a set of mental concepts mm -hmm. that people carry around. That the reality is, is that there may be 
federal buildings. There may be federal employees, but there's no such thing as a federal government. The United States government does not exist in reality at all because all it is is a concept and everybody that you meet will have a slightly different concept of what the U.S. government is. Yeah. And so the government, like the, like, uh, the Democratic Party, is gushy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just a story everybody keeps telling each other. <laughs> it's your story, and, uh, and they half believe it and half memory, uh, remember it. Yeah. And so um, uh, the disintegration of the reality uh, is into the disintegration. Disin- reality disintegrates into concepts. Mm-hmm. Now, the mind is the forerunner for everything. That mm-hmm. if you have a concept, let us say, talk about the first automobile. The very mm-hmm. first one. Everybody had horses. But the guy had a concept. He had an idea for a car. Yeah. And so the first car that was built was only built because somebody knew the parts to put it together. So the mind came first. Yeah. But now the original idea of the automobile, I mean, look at automobiles today. What mm-hmm. a variety, variety because people had ideas and added to and added to. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we recognize that the mind is the forerunner for everything, what that really means is, is that the mind creates reality. Yeah. That you don't live in the real world of your senses. You live in a world of interpreted senses. That you interpret the world or the, the world of your sight, hearing, etc. like that. And put it into a context. Yeah. Associating okay. and all that. Right. And that context then uh, is built out of the past old lumber from old knowledge that in order to prop this thing up the reality of the moment we the understanding of it comes from the past mm-hmm. which means that we take into input and spend a whole lot of time sometimes processing that processing it to try to come to a conclusion and when we don't come to conclusion we go back and get other data and keep processing it and while we're doing that we're not receiving sensory input yeah we've gone blind while we're doing the processing mm-hmm. that is one of the features of data processing especially with the old unit record equipment that you would read the card process the data and then do the print cycle on the next cycle mm-hmm. right? but sometimes especially if you're doing multiplication you have to read the card spin the machine and spin the machine and spin the machine up to nine times to get the calculations done for the uh, arithmetic and mm-hmm. then do the print. Yeah. Okay. So with this regard, this is how the human mind works, is that we, we're always a kind of a third or a half a second late. Because yeah. what we see doesn't get instantly in. It's got to be processed. And then mm-hmm. we built we create an internal image, and that's called a salyatana. Okay, guess what? The less processing we do, the more data input we can receive. Yeah. If you read a record and got to do a lot of processing and then do output, 
that's a whole lot different than reading data and do no processing, just do output. Read data, and then you can do it at high speed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so part of the job that we have in this play is to stay in sensory awareness, to stay in the reality, rather than staying, spending our time in processing the data. Yeah. So just being here now and, and um, basically what happens is, is that sensory input at that level becomes like a flood. There is so much happening, so much data coming into the eye, so much sound is happening. So just your body that look all the sensory input that's coming in from all over the body. There yeah. is the touch of the shoulders. There is the touch of the headphones. There is the touch of the eyeglasses on the bridge of the nose. There is the touch of the eyeglasses on the, the ears. You can uh, feel the um, uh, sometimes that uh, piece of the cloth touch your cheek. Mm -hmm. Okay, look how much sensory input that the body is putting in while we're thinking about something and not paying attention to the reality. Yeah, it's a but lot because there's a lot happening. Yeah. <laughs> And we pay no attention to it mostly because we're thinking about some concept or something else. And so a great deal of the practice is to come into the present moment so that we can receive sensory input more effectively and stop processing so much with all of the old past. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to bring up bad feelings and bad events and whatnot like that. That in fact, you can see that that memory actually is uh, gathered up. We gather memory in the, um, let us say, in the service of survival. Yeah. Okay, which means that if something is easy peasy, easy going, no problems at all, we're likely to not remember that. What we remember, if you, if, let us say a guy who goes to parties is going to remember the wild parties yeah more than soft parties for sure right? <laughs> mm -hmm. so that's what we do we wind up remembering all the bad stuff that ever happens to us but uh, so many tens of millions of things that happened that were okay we don't bother to remember them mm -hmm. okay so that means that if we're going to be help construct the new reality with old memories we're going to add some bad feelings in there automatically yeah it's very buggy and inefficient and slow. And. <laughs> and so the less time we spend trying to figure something out, the less time we spend in dukkha. That figuring mm -hmm. things out is basically what that means is, is that we want something and we're trying to get it and we're not getting. The figuring is trying to get something, trying to get a math problem solved or the conclusion or whatever like this. And so we can come out of that into the present moment and receive sensory data without having to make sense out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this gives us in some insight into the hindrance of doubt. Because in fact, you already know enough to get yourself into a really pleasant state. You already know enough about yeah. wake up to take a look at what you're doing and to make a change coming into the here now. Well, if we already know enough, 
then that means that all of those questions that we have, all of those doubts, we can set aside right now. We don't have to have everything figured out. We've got enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's also the way that we plan with satisfaction is, is that in the satisfaction that's enough satisfaction is all the satisfaction that we need. Yeah, but I it's have in the word. had two students say that I've come into a state of satisfaction, but it's not enough yet. I'm dissatisfied with my satisfaction. Okay, so that means that it's not enough for them. Yeah. And that's merely an attitude change. When it's not mm-hmm. enough, we're being uh, the victim again. And when we come up to this is enough, this is good enough, that's the winner. Yeah. Okay, so we take... Um, uh, that the joy and the value, wherever it may be found, and we can come up to enough satisfaction that I don't have to know uh, all the teachings of the Buddha. I don't have to know every nuance. I don't have to know what I'm going to do next after I've done this well. All we need to do is just enjoy this moment, become yeah. satisfied. Because satisfaction, surprise, surprise, is exactly opposite of dukkha, being dissatisfied. (laughs) Yeah. Because when we're satisfied, then that's all there is to it. That's the whole teaching of the Buddha. Yeah. But Westerners have gotten the idea partly because of religions and partly because of, um, uh, let us say, extreme sports and other things like that that we get the idea that the teaching of the Buddha is highfalutin, that it's way off up there someplace. Mm. It is like an avalanche. Okay? Yeah. And yet, every avalanche starts with a little snowball. Mm-hmm. One little thing happens, okay? So if we can get satisfaction to the state of a snowball, then it's going to snowball. Mm-hmm. And eventually our satisfaction becomes an avalanche. But if we demand an avalanche and all we've got is a snowball, now we're suffering. No avalanche in sight. Yeah. Okay, but if we can get a little bit of satisfaction and that's enough and practice that, then we keep practicing that in the sense of anything that I thought is important, I'll throw that out and I'll come back to that little bit of satisfaction again. Mm-hmm. Over and over and over again, we keep practicing being in the state of satisfaction and it grows like a snowball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this is the whole point is getting that satisfaction. Am I okay right now? Yes, this is good enough. Because that actually changes the attitude from being the attitude of a loser. This this satisfaction ain't satisfying at all. And to, yeah, this do. A little dabble do. Mm-hmm. A little dabble do. Yeah, a little bit of satisfaction. That's enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's... Yeah, it's oxymoronic for satisfaction to not be enough because then you're not satisfied. Because <laughs> <laughs> then it's not exactly. It becomes an oxymoron or or catch twenty two. Yeah. <laughs> so 
So this is the way then to start to practice is number one, recognize the only thing is important is his next breath. Mm -hmm. And all that stuff out there is all concepts anyway. The reality is right here, right now. Yeah. The past is dead. The past is not real. What's real is what's coming into our senses. So let's pay attention to the reality. Mm-hmm. Let's relish reality. Let's talk to ourselves about reality, about how good this breath feels. We can start noticing the touch of the cloth and the air that comes in the nostrils. Mm-hmm. Begin to notice what the feelings of the body are and experiment and play with that body. Yeah. Because it's a marvelous tool to play with. Yeah, I could do all sorts of things. We're still finding out. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so I think that we kind of covered our talk today with this particular question. Is, is that, yes, be playful. Mm-hmm. Be playful with life. Yeah. Because you're going to lose it anyway. <laughs> Might There's as well have fun. Thing is, is that why take life serious? You're not going to get out of it alive anyway. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take anything serious. <laughs> yeah. Serious itself means that I care about it and therefore it's subject to dukkha. Mm-hmm. And by standing back and looking, you can begin to see, oh, these are the cycles that we get into. Mm-hmm. And I like this part of the cycle, and I don't like that part of the cycle. But when we recognize it as a cycle, then we can have a choice about it. Oh, I don't have to like this part and not like that part. I can just enjoy the cycle as it goes around. Yeah. I don't have to be on the top. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, do you have any last questions about this? That's all. I'll just keep having fun. (laughs) (laughs) okay well go practice well enjoy yourself i will thank you domorado have a good one okay we'll talk to you later all right bye